Hi, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Surf and Sales podcast. This is actually a special edition today because I've kicked Richard Harris out. He's not in the room. He will not be participating, um, but he's actually working and sorry he can't be here. I'm excited to talk to Amy Volos, the founder and CEO of Avenue Talent Partners and the self, not self, I proclaim her the oracle of all things jobs related right now. Um, and I'm really excited to uh, spend some time talking to her and get her take on everything going on out there in the world. How are you doing today, Amy? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me, Scott. I feel like we've been uh, trying to get this band together for what, a couple months now to do this. So yep. I think what we were originally going to talk about, my oh my, has the world changed in such sure. a short amount of time. So thanks for yeah. having me on. I think, I think our original conversation was slated for January, so we would have definitely been talking about some uh, some different things, right? Um, yes. First and foremost, are you doing okay? You locked away at, at home, safe and sound? I am locked away, safe and sound. I have to say, I mean, I've worked remote for more than 12 years, um, and my husband has worked remote from home almost the same amount of time. So like we, we've got that locked down. We're good there, but old hat it's just, a little bit. what's that? It's a little bit old hat for you then. It is. Um, but I wake up every morning and I am really grateful that I am healthy and that my loved ones are healthy. And so as long as I agree with you, when you say without your health, you don't have anything else. And I totally agree with that. So yeah. I am well and, um, weathering the storm. So thank you. How are you? I'm okay. You know, I've, um, I've I'm obviously pretty open about <clears throat> the health struggles that I've had in the past and that I have right now. Um, and I, I, I've gotten a lot of really nice messages from people who are, you know, checking in on me because they know that I'm pretty high at risk with all this kind of thing. So, um, but I'm okay. I'm in good, good spirits. Um, you know, you and I were talking offline, but there's no playbook for how to deal with this and maybe no, no right way or wrong way necessarily right now. But I've been through some of this kind of stuff before and, you know, have recently just been trying to lend some pers perspective out there. And, um, you know, the health above all else is definitely something that I, that I preach. So I'm in good shape and I'm glad to hear that you and your, uh, your husband and your family is safe as well. Thank you. Oh, Tell, uh, tell us a little bit about, um, you know, what you do for anybody who doesn't know you and, and where you operate out of and, and uh, a little bit about uh, your company. Yeah. So um, Avenue Talent Partners is the genesis of my 20 plus year enterprise sales career. So I never thought that I would own a sales recruiting firm <laughs> because I loved um, and still love sales so much. Even though sales, I feel like is getting a bad rap right now. However, <laughs> it is still my first business love. And so what I noticed along the way of my career, um, the second business love for me is startups. And, and I saw this common theme of startups really, and, and it's not just startups, it's other companies too, but um, getting in the way of themselves of being able to hire right the first time. And I find a lot of a lot of the time people don't know how to hire salespeople, let alone then onboard and keep them for the long haul. And so that's not lost on me. It hasn't been lost on me through my career as a 
salesperson, as a sales leader through these startups. And I felt like because so much of my career was spent in the HR tech community, so with talent acquisition and recruiting um, leaders, it's like, and this is no exception to the rule in this marketplace, I don't have a problem talking to people. I don't have a problem finding people, but I have a real big problem finding the right people for the stage of company or the kind of company that we are. And so that has always been my guiding force. It still is. So we work with varying stages of startups to help them build out their enterprise sales teams um, while also helping them hire their executive sales leadership team as well. So that could be director, that could be VP, that could be SVP, that could be CRO. Um, and that's the space that we occupy. So we are industry agnostic. We're location agnostic. Um, we hail out of the Midwest, but the majority of the work that I've been doing has been on either coast. So that's us. So let me ask you a question. I don't know that I've ever asked anybody this question before. Um, <laughs> are the, so, you know, hiring salespeople is, I think, inarguably one of the most difficult things that you can do. It's one of the hardest positions to hire for, has the highest turnover rate for a reason. Do you think the mistakes during the hiring process when people are trying to hire salespeople that non-sales folks uh, make are different than the mistakes that say a sales leader makes in hiring a salesperson? Or do you think they're the same? That's a really good question. I've never been asked that question, Scott. Scott for the never win. Asked it before. I just <laughs> thought of it right now. Um, I think that there are similarities between the two and some big differences. So I think it depends on the sales leader that's hiring. So, I mean, I think you and I both know when it comes to highly technical founders or leaders that um, don't hail from sales or think about sales or have done sales before or spend too much time close to the customer that way, um, for the obvious reasons, they struggle, right? Uh, but I think when it comes to a sales leader, we have a different set of challenges. Sometimes it's that, but it can also be, um, and, and I think the first Zoom that you and Justin Walsh did this, this I, I Our came half with power, my, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, came in with my vodka and soda. So if I'm a little fuzzy on this, let me know. Um, but there was the conversation around enterprise versus SMB. And I think you and I were having a, a separate discussion about the length of that and, and what that looks like. And I come from enterprise, right? I'm not a high velocity transactional SMB sales gal, never have been. Um, and it's not really the work that I do for my clients. So it's not where my mindset is every day. But what I do see that I think contributes to part of the problem is not all salespeople or sales leaders are created equal. And if you've come up through the ranks from let's say SMB and you've never done enterprise before and you have a big heavy duty VP of sales title, but it's all been that space. Like for example, and not, not to pick on Justin, I love Justin, I have so much respect for him. But if one of my enterprise clients tried to hire him to lead their enterprise sales team, he would say it if he were here too, he'd probably struggle with that right? Because he hasn't done that before. And so I think it's the same thing with sales hiring. Some of the attributes that you look for with the different kinds of roles, it's not a blanket statement. It's not a one size fits all. And for those leaders that fool themselves into thinking that, they really struggle. And that's then directly correlated to some of that turnover and some of the other things that happen that are really painful to deal with on the back end.
They also don't know how to onboard or enable. Yeah, yeah. What do you think? Well, I, I've just been trying to, as you were talking, I've been thinking, you know, how would I answer this question if somebody asked me the question and now here you are asking. Um, you know, I, I feel like from the sales leader side, I think we struggle with perspective a little bit. I think we get some blinders on and some happy ears and we tend to look for people who remind us of ourselves a little bit and, um, you know, get kind of optimistic and caught up in good interviews and get sold on some level because, you know, somebody made us feel good and that transference of emotion happened. Um, and I think on the non-technical side, whether it's founders or whomever trying to hire salespeople, I, I think it's lack of experience and, and kind of ignorance and just not knowing what to look for. So if I had to really distill it down, I, I'd say, you know, lack of knowledge and uh, an understanding of what makes a good salesperson when non-technical people hire them. And I think, you know, salespeople hiring other salespeople, we struggle with, with perspective a little bit. And, you know, I throw some of that, you know, uh, transactional versus enterprise and these different experiences into that, that mix as well. So. Yeah. I think there's also a difference between people that have, whether this is your first rodeo or not, meaning when I think about like early, early stage startups and you're brilliant and you're developing technology that's going to do something phenomenal. Um, there's also that lack of perspective. You use a really strong word there, perspective. And I a hundred percent agree with what you just said. You lack perspective of how to scale a sales team or how to even build it or grow it from, from the jump because you haven't done it before where I've talked and dealt with many technical founders, but this is their third or fourth venture. And they look at it very different than the first time around. Mm -hmm. And so it goes back to that perspective category that you just mentioned. I think it just, I, I'd love to say, like it's all technical or it's all this or it's all that. I think it just, it's a big depends, but those are some of the common themes for sure. Yeah. You know, one of, one of the things that um, I said not too long ago, I don't think, and, and you really latched onto this and have run with it and done a brilliant job of taking it farther was, you know, the differences between job security versus employment security. Um, and job security means sort of worrying about, Will you be able to stay in the role you're in? And employment security is more about, will I be able to find other jobs should this one um, you know, go away? And, and given how many salespeople right now that you and I are aware of and have been reading about that are losing their jobs in this current environment, uh, <clears throat> what, are, what are the ways that you, you know, what are the ways that feel right to you to advise some, some folks who are out there? If, if I'm a salesperson and I, just lost my job or, you know, I'm about to lose, lose my job. What are the things that they should be doing right now in your mind to try to um, find employment as, as fast as they can? Yeah. So I think that there's two different categories. I just had this conversation with a VP of sales that I placed and he was like, 
I'm going to have to lay people off and that really sucks. And what do I need to be thinking about and what's some advice that I can share with them? So this just comes from my lens, right? I'm not the expert. I, I need to really over disclaim this because we are in interesting times and every week and every day seems to have a new set of challenges that nobody foresaw or no knows how to deal with because we haven't been here before. I went through 2001. I went through 2008, both successfully. This is not that right? This is a very different thing. And so we might see some similarities, but this is different. So when I think about that question, right? And um, thank you for the inspiration about employment versus job security. That really clearly struck a chord um, and inspired a lot of content. I think about it in a little bit of a different lens of what are the things that you can be doing regardless of the situation around you to make sure that you are still desirable to anybody. And so there's a couple of things that actually a few things to think about. So first and foremost, um, we're all in a place of high anxiety and fear. And if you haven't lost your job yet, I would be grabbing on for dear life unless you are absolutely and completely miserable. Yeah. And the reason being is, even though other companies are hiring right now, and they are, and that's great. Um, what I'm afraid of is, so I see two very different mindsets happening right now. One, I see stop the presses. We, are, uh, we weren't really managing our company well in the first place. We don't have cash flow. We were relying on this next round of funding that we were about to get, and now we're not going to be able to get it, and the lights are going to turn off, and we can't even survive after a week. Um, that was a problem with that business anyway, right? So that's, that's a little scary in and of itself. But that mindset is, I'm going to stop. I'm going to cut. I'm, I'm going to make really uh, rash decisions in a vacuum right now. And the other mindset is this is an opportunity. This is an opportunity to get creative, to figure out how can we cut without cutting bodies, right? How can we double down on our customers? How can we um, continue to think about our business maybe in different ways? How can we be agile and adaptable? And those are very different ways of thinking about things. And so I would really encourage anybody that's thinking about making a move, what bucket is your company in? If it's door number one, yeah, you need to be thinking about this, right? But I think you, you grab on for dear life because even the companies that are in door number two, everybody has a certain amount of runway. All of us do, right? I'm a business owner as well. I know how much money I have to be able to weather the storm before it gets crazy. Um, if you are thinking about making a move, I would really do all of the other things that make you desirable before pulling the ripcord to start interviewing. Because here's the thing, unless a company can tell you what's going to happen in Q3, Q4, Q1, Q2 of next year, you're at risk for a company to hire you. Um, sadly, sales and marketing people are some of the first people on the chopping block right now. And you're at risk for being laid off in, in a short amount of time, even though you might get hired. So really, if you are interviewing, drill into, and nobody has the blueprint for this, and people don't have absolutes, but how comfortable can you really get about what that lens looks like down the road a bit? And if it's like, well, you know, we think we might be okay, and you don't really have the assurance that you need, hang on for dear life yeah. um, and try to keep that job for as long as you can keep it. 
Well, what what about the people who have already <clears throat> already lost their their job? What what is what is their best course of action right now? These are you know these are people who want to go work. They you know if they could wave a magic wand, they'd find their next sales gig straight away. You know today. <clears throat> so what should those those people do? Yeah. So I think first and foremost, you get your backyard cleaned up, right? So <laughs> what does your resume look like? Um, and I'm not talking about just cranking out the same templated form that everybody uses. Keep in mind for anybody thinking about this, I can't tell you how many messages and how many emails I'm getting from people that are asking me for advice about what they should do the same thing. And they're sending me the resume and Scott, they all look the same and they're all boring as all get out. And it's just words smushed together on a page and keep in mind the average um, that people were spending on a resume was less than 20 seconds to start being inundated with that now is going to reduce that. And if you look like everybody else and it's just words mashed up on a page and you make it more difficult for me to understand what makes you stand out, you're doing yourself a disservice. And so my best suggestion for that is to make your resume um, make me want to have a conversation with you. Merely, it's, a, it's, a, it's really just a piece of paper that's an invitation for a conversation. Yeah. And so when people are like, do resumes matter or do they not? Yes, they do. Um, well, they, and might they, matter, they might matter right now more than they did two months ago. Yeah. Maybe a couple months ago, I would have probably been on the camp that's like, you know, I don't know if your resume really matters. Just make sure your LinkedIn profile is up to date and all that kind of stuff. But to your point, the situation has totally changed and now I've got to do anything I can to stand out. So I, I, I would be skewing towards, okay, what can we do to distinguish ourselves? I agree with you. Well, and especially if you're going for the bigger company because you think it's more stable right now, those companies absolutely care about a resume. You have to go through the applicant tracking system and keep in mind how technology works the words that you choose to use or not use make or break the way that that system is filtering you. And so if you aren't putting yourself out there in the right way with those words on the page, you might get filtered out into the rejection pile and nobody looks at that and you're doing yourself a disservice. So you know, keep in mind that resume um, is a valuable piece of paper. You don't have to say every single thing that you did since 1998. You just want to make it appetizing for me to want to learn more about you. So this is what I tell people. Think about yourself, and I'm not a sports person. <laughs> so don't judge me, Scott. Don't do right. it. I literally already judged you. Um, I mean, if you want to talk about swimming, I swam from the age of 4 through 20. I can talk about that all day long. That 100% counts. That's sports. It does. But like football, that's going to be a no thank you.com for me. But <laughs> what I do know about football is there's a little thing called the Super Bowl, and there are commercials that I do pay attention to because my husband's a huge sports nut. So while he's watching the Super, Bowls, Super, Super Bowl, excuse me, I'm paying attention to the commercials. And the cool thing about those commercials, everybody brings their A game when it comes to the Super Bowl. <laughs> Uh, and you have what, 60 seconds back yeah. to show me exactly what you want to show me so that I'm intrigued to do something more with your brand. This is no different. And so I tell people, think about yourself like a Super Bowl commercial. And in that short amount of time, in a very crisp and clear way, those companies are able to say who they are, 
why it's interesting, what they do, and how to get in touch, right? So if you think about this, the questions are a little bit different, but they're all the still they're all still the same why, how, what, where. So if you look at yourself like a super bowl, super bowl, sorry, I'm tongue-tied. I'm too I'm over caffeinated. This is how I'm dealing with the pandemic. <laughs> it's either or it's tea. Right now it's tea. <laughs> so let me calm myself down and stop being tongue-tied. So um, but if you think about the questions of like, okay, so why are you doing what you're doing? Why did you work for this company? So the why, where did you do it? Who did you do it with? How did you do it? So people will be like, I'm a challenger salesperson, but they can't really get granular about the application of how. And if you think about these different questions and you write down two or three power statements of what you did, how you did it, why you did it, the lessons you learned, if you think about that and you mark all that down, then you shape your resume around that because now you're starting to talk about how you got to where you got. You're not saying the same language that everybody else is saying that gets just blurred on a page. And you're able to talk about the story of you that makes you special and unique that helps you stand out in a much more dynamic way. So um, there's that. The other thing is quota path and I have no marriage to them, right? But they launched a product, it's free. If you go to their website, and I forgot what it's called, I'm so sorry, but you're gonna have to do a little bit of research. They have a free tool under their blog, if you look it up, that they released for sales reps that you can track your numbers, what you did, how you did it, and it carries with you regardless of whether you stay with the company or you leave. I suggest every single person get that, use that to keep account of your biggest deal. So what you're was, you're you're 100 in favor of including numbers and performance um, <clears throat> stats and that stuff on your resume. I am. Yeah. Not all the stats, but give me the give me the um, sort of like sizzle reel, right? Yeah. So yeah. I grew revenue 200 in 18 months with these three brands, and I helped my clients do X. Yeah. So That's going to make you want to learn more about how you did that. Yeah. A little bit, little bit of stats, a little bit of with whom, and a little bit of how you did it. Is that a good yep. summary? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, what do you think, uh, what are you seeing out there? I mean, are you seeing, you know, big freeze in hiring? Are you seeing a big influx of, of candidates? Are you seeing some companies get real aggressive? Give me your kind of... Uh, you know, I know it's impossible as none of us know what the hell is going on, but to the best we can, like, what, what are you kind of forecasting for the next month or two, let's say at least, at least let's get through the spring and not worry about beyond that. What about in April and May? Where, what are we, what are we looking at? You think? So I think there are companies that are still hiring. Those companies are going to be inundated with people. So that's why what we just talked about is even more important. Yep. What I will add, Scott, to that before I answer your question fully is also get yourself a scorecard. It's really easy to make emotional fear-based rash decisions on your career. Meaning, meaning be careful. People don't take the first job that somebody throws at you. Well, maybe do that. I mean, I don't know somebody's personal situation. If you've got to put food on the table, you've got to do what you got to do. I totally get that. But I think um, sometimes when we're scared about what's happening, 
we start telling ourselves a story that we shouldn't be telling ourselves. And we start glamorizing the opportunity of like, oh, this is going to be better because of this. And you didn't ask these other questions that your gut knew you should ask, but you pushed it down because you wanted to hear what you wanted to hear. Yeah. A scorecard helps you check off all the boxes that you need to check off. I wrote about it for Sales Hacker. It's, there's a template there. Anybody can get it. You just Google Amy Volus scorecard sales hacker and voila, it shows up. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. That's, that's good advice. And is, can you give us, I know people will hopefully go look up the article article, but can you give us like a quick 10 second summary of what the scorecard might look like and what should be on there? I can't do anything in 10 seconds. <laughs> you should know this by now. Two minutes. Two minutes. Then. Come on now. Um, your question is, what should they think about the scorecard? So what, what, should be, what should be on the scorecard? I know I can go look up the article, but I'm right here right now. What should I put on the scorecard? So first and foremost, it should be your current job, right? Like, what do you like? What don't you like? Why are you leaving? Um, what does leadership mean to you? So like a scorecard basically is you listening to yourself to know what you have to have. Yeah. So what I care about versus what you care about, it's going to be different. Maybe I don't want a micromanager. Maybe I'm cool with it. Maybe I want to work remote after this pandemic. Maybe I don't. Maybe I want a D round company. I don't want a seed round because I just got burned by that three times in a row. It just depends on what's really important to you. And what I suggest people do is you don't just rail off a um, scorecard in a half an hour because I told you so and you read the article. I'm a big fan of whether it's like a voice note or it's written journal. Talk about yourself with yourself of like, these are the things, or when you're talking to people and you hear yourself, mark it down. And when you have your sort of rough sketch of your scorecard, I have an advisory board of no more than three to five people because I don't want to be deluded of people that'll shoot me straight that know me really well, an old boss, a mentor, a colleague, um, so a, a client. It just depends on what you're comfortable with and people that will really be honest with you. I like having people point out their blind spots. You know what, Amy, you've been talking about the fact that you've been micromanaged for the last six years and you're sick of it. You didn't put that on here. You better get that on there. Otherwise, you're going to be um, at risk for falling into that trap again. Here are some questions. So on the scorecard, it's all of that criteria of what's important to you. And each one of those things carries weight. In my mind, nothing's perfect. So I always score things up to 75%. So like anything that's at 75% or greater is compelling to me. Anything below that, no thank you. And then it's about what's the 25%? Can I live with that? And do I really need to drill into those details to confirm or deny whether it's good for me? That's your scorecard 101 at a high level. And it was a little bit more than two minutes. Sorry. I love it. <clears throat> I love it. That's good. You, I can't remember how you phrased it, but somebody told me the other day that, they sh that everybody should have their personal board of directors, which is like this little group of, you know, trusted folks and advisors <clears throat> that they can bounce ideas off and, and uh, you know, these people be a sounding board for them and help them make, you know, think through things and make sure they're, um, you know, making the right choices. And it sounds like you're, you're kind of advocating a, something similar to that, right? Absolutely. If you do any more than three to five people, it becomes very confusing then, right? Yeah, it, gets, so, it, gets, it gets noisy and the odds go up. You're going to get a lot of conflicting opinions. And Correct. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and I try to select 
different kinds of people, right? So like there's only one spouse for me. So he's in there. There's only, <laughs> there's only one, like I, I had to pick one mentor. And I created this by the way, because I got it wrong in my career. Um, I will never forget. I'm not really a crier. And the first day that I started with this particular company, I called my husband bawling and I'm like, what the hell did I just do? Mm. And I vowed to myself that I would never do that again. And that's, and I didn't create the concept of a scorecard. There are plenty of other smart people that did that before me, but I just really honed in on how I wanted to approach it and why. And that's what I've shared with others that um, luckily has helped people. But I think if you're asking for an advisory board, you don't want all the same kind of person. You want different opinions that, that will shoot you straight to point out some of those blind spots and challenge you to think about maybe if you want to push back on them, why are you pushing back on them? What's really going on here? Yeah. So um, I digress from your second question. I don't even remember what that was, Scott, but I did want to go back to the scorecard because that's the other tool of the kit. Yeah. I mean, I, like you, made one pretty profound mistake and picked a company that I now um, know better and would, would not have, have gone there. The, the mistake that I made was just not betting the product itself <clears throat> well enough um, along with the, the founding team. And so now what not you, you went through that experience. I mean, what are the things that you should have asked? Is it, is it, is there anything that's not on the scorecard that you've, that you've since learned that's like mastery level PhD level, you know, candidate interviewing employer type question that you can, that you can share. Do you have a, a favorite one? If I, it's, it's more of a concept than it is a question, right? But I think if I go back to that time for me, I had a very similar thing, Scott. It should, I should have really drilled into the product and drilled into the founding team. Yeah. Um, and sometimes people tell you, especially with startups, you don't, you don't see the same kind of information that you do necessarily with a public company. Um, and luckily we're living out loud now where there are all sorts of different review platforms that you do need to take with a grain of salt, but there's that. Uh, the big thing that I tell people is if you are, and I'm afraid this is going to happen now more than ever because people are afraid, but if you are afraid to ask a question, there's something the matter there, right? Like if somebody really wants me on their team and they want me to make a well-informed decision and vice versa. Yeah. <clears throat> I think you're on the table, right? Exactly. So if you want to ask me a question to Sunday about how I did what I did and why I'm great or why I'm not so great or whatever the case may be. And I'm leaning into that. I would suspect or hope, and yes, I'm being Pollyanna that a company would lean into that as well. If they cannot, there's red flag number one. So that's like my Jedi mind trick of if you can't answer something for me, or it's like, just trust me, we're fine. We've got enough money in the bank. That's not good enough for me. Yeah. Right. That's going to be a no thank you.com. I need to pause and maybe ask my question in a different way. Um, I don't subscribe to these things where it's like, here are the top three interview questions you should always ask no matter what, because every company is different. Every person that's interviewing you is different. They have different points of view, perspective, experience, just like every salesperson is different. And so I'm a big fan of listen to what people are telling you make notes fast and furiously start starring the things that you want to drill into further run that through your scorecard 
And even if you're at offer stage and they're like, great, we want, we want to have you because you and I both know how hiring works. You go in for an interview, they put you through the ringer and there's 10 minutes left. And it's like, well, what questions do you have for us? It's like, wait, no, I've got more than 10 minutes worth of questions, right? So if people aren't honoring that where it's like, I'm really excited about this. However, I've got yeah. about 10 really meaty questions for me. Who might I talk to about that? And they're like, no, it's fine. You'll just see when you get here. Or you don't want to ask those questions. That's a big problem. Yeah, so that'd be a huge red flag. I mean, I, <clears throat> I can't remember when I started doing this, but um, I just start every interview with answering questions that the candidates have. <clears throat> I did, I, I, that's like the most important part of the interview process to me is them interviewing me and interviewing us, meaning our company. So yeah. I don't, I don't fire off all my questions and then with 10 minutes left, you know, say, Hey, what questions do you have for me? I would probably bring you into the office and say, well, talk to me, Amy. Like, what are the things on your mind? What are you thinking about? What questions do you have? What can I answer for you? Anything's on the table, right? total transparency. And there's been times where I've fielded questions from people for 30, 45 minutes straight without even being able to, to ask any myself. But there's so much that I learn from the questions people ask of me during the interview process. Um, I find that it helps both parties, um, you know, ascertain, you know, more efficiently and effectively whether or not it's going to be a good fit. You just took the thought right out of my head, Scott, where it's like, my oh my, isn't it enlightening? Um, as you're taking that approach to see what questions they're asking. Yeah. Are they taking this seriously? Are they thinking about it seriously versus like, hey, when do you want the job filled by? Like what? Right. You know, like for right. a very, um, I, I call them consequential questions. And the more meaty they get, the more you know somebody's really thinking through this critically and they're taking it seriously. And yeah. that's a big tell for you. So like I don't play poker either, but I always look for the tells. And that's what I tell people. Yeah. Yeah. Well, in this uh, brave new world that we're in, Amy, what, what are some things that Richard and I might be able to do to support you and your message and the company and, and uh, all these candidates out, out there? You know, we always try to be positive and give something back. And so we, we turn it around on our guests at the very end and say, what can I do for you? That's really sweet. Um, I would say the same thing back to you, Richard. How can I help you guys? I mean, I think especially now, how we come together is really important. And for me, I am taking time to observe and reflect. And I'd be lying if I said I didn't have clients that came to me and said, Amy, we love you. We're not firing you. We are on a pause for now. Yeah. And um, I would be lying if I said that didn't suck because it does. <laughs> but I get it and I support it and I will be there for them the second that they pick that back up. So I suppose the way that anybody could help me is if you're looking for enterprise salespeople or executive sales leaders and you want a really well um, mapped out process that helps you get it right the first time, then yes, um, I love referrals. But you know, most importantly, I think it's just about coming together to have these conversations because the more we talk about it, the more all of us know we're not alone. Yeah. And every single one of us, whether it's economically or it's something else, we are being affected by it. Whether it's somebody that we know that has it, or we're scared of getting it ourselves, or we're losing our jobs, or we're losing parts of our business. Um, 
when it's something like this that none of us have ever seen and we're living through history, I think there's a great comfort in knowing that we're all in it together. So just keep being you and you and I chat behind the scenes. Don't, don't ice me out, man. <laughs> never, 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 never. No, I, you know, one of the reasons that I, I love talking to you and, you know, I, it's one of my goals is to continue strengthening our relationship is because you are very transparent, very vulnerable, vulnerable, open and honest about, about things. Um, and I just really admire that as a, as a character trait in, in everybody and, and in particular in you. So even, you know, right now you just being honest about your situation, you know, um, and, and how all of us are going through this mess and, none of us have any answers and it's going to hit each of us. Um, you know, you, you inspire me. I just got hit for the first time a couple hours ago today um, with a similar situation as you. We love, love you. You've been doing great. Got to take a pause. And so, you know, I'm, I'm affected. Um, you're affected. We're all going to be affected one way or the other. Um, but there's so much that we can learn from each other and so much that we can give back. And, um, you know, take care of each other as best we can. I'll be there for you. I'll definitely push people your way because I know you're good at, at what you do and look forward to uh, talking to you again soon, hopefully under different circumstances where we're all out and about. Maybe we can have an outside podcast on the next one where we're both wandering around the mall or through the park or something, change it up a little bit. Maybe we'll even invite Richard. Well, um, Richard blew us off, so maybe he gets invited. I'm yeah, kidding. maybe. Uh, <laughs> yeah. but honestly like going back for just a second thank you for all that that means a lot to me and I think it's hard sometimes to live out loud but I decided many years ago when I was going to do this content thing that I would keep it super real and yep. either people like that or they don't and I really appreciate your point of view Scott because I think that's one of the things that kind of binds you and I um, together is you're very much like that too and you're not afraid to say things that may be cut against the grain. Me too. Yeah. Uh, sometimes you catch heat for that. But if I said this a week ago, I'm not going to be posting as much because I'm taking time to just observe and reflect and learn. Uh, and if it feels wrong, don't do it. And if it feels right, forge ahead. And I feel like you live by that. And so thank you for those kind words. I really, and, and I, it means a lot to have you in my corner. And um, I hope what we shared through this is helpful for anybody listening. Um, we're all just trying to do the best that we can. And what I would say is for anybody listening, if you're like, hey, what is the scorecard? I mean, I can't find it online. Or what are you talking about? What, what kind of resume should it be? What should I say? What should I not say? I'm trying to put all my energy into just being good to people because I feel like good begets good. So for anybody listening to this, please, um, my hotline is on, as I like to say, and I'm here and I'm happy to help. That's great. And as is, as is mine. Thanks, Amy. Appreciate you taking the time uh, with me today. Right back at you, Scott. Thank you. And thanks, Richard. If you were here, we're going to do one for me, one for my homies. We'll do a pour out for him. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Amy. We'll talk soon. All right. Sounds good. Bye, Scott. Bye.